Hello, data enthusiasts. This is Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Welcome to Data Hurls. We are your gateway into the intricate world of data, where AI, machine learning, big data, and social justice intersect. Expect thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insights from experts all across the industries as we explore the unexpected ways data impacts our lives. So get ready to be informed, inspired, and excited about the future of data. Let's conquer these data hurdles together. All right. Welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. How you doing, Chris? Good, Michael. How about you? Um, you know, I'm prepping for this race tomorrow. I'm really excited about it. We talked a little bit before we started recording, but, um, you know, biggest race I've ever done, 17 miles or so up a mountain, like 4,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, and, you know, this is probably the longest and hardest race I've ever done, and it's supposed to rain. So we'll see if we ice nice. right? <laughs> well, I think with that attitude, you might not, but I think with a better attitude, you might be able to finish. You've trained, it, done well. Yes, it's going to be hard, but I think you'll be able to do it. You know, it's like everyone's worst nightmare. You're, you're already doing something hard, and then you see rain on the forecast, and you're just like, <laughs> oh, man, like, is this? So I think it'll be fine. I'm sure we'll muster through. Maybe I'll post some pictures later, but uh, really excited for it regardless. It'll be nice. Back in my hometown, so. Well, that's pretty awesome, and uh, look, that's the beauty about running is when you do races, you can never control the elements. Uh, you know, so the cold, you know, the weather, you'll never be able to control. The only thing you can't control is, you know, your fitness. And so I think you've kind of got there. So that I think that'd be all right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you know what they say, it's all mental, right? So <laughs> no, it's not. Some of it is. Okay. Well, I think we're going to digress if we keep talking about running, but it is one of my favorite things to do. But uh, so in today's episode, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot and, you know, you're uh, an AI ML guru. So I kind of wanted to continue on this journey of AI and ML and and wanted to talk a little bit about trends. And so today we're just going to talk about seven or eight different trends in the, in the space of, um, AI and ML, and and then just talk a little bit about that, and we'll go deep in next in the next episodes into each trend. So how about that, Michael? What does that sound good? I think it's great, and I think this is a perfect time. You know, a lot has changed even over the past six months. Kind of the future, we're starting to see what's coming up for 2024, right? Um, so I think this is a good time to summarize what we think is coming next uh, for at least right. the next year and beyond. Let's do it. So the first kind of trend and and as I kind of think about this is kind of the ev- evolution of large language models. So when you start looking at like chat GPT and four and the advancements of it, you know, what are some of the anticipated milestones for uh, LLMs in 2024? And how do you think these advance- <laughs> advancements push the boundaries of human AI interaction and automation? Right. So, I mean, the biggest thing with with ChatGPT three and large language models, which has been the focus of twenty twenty three, right, is this idea of specificity, right? Things are getting more specific. We started off with these very large globalized models, and now they're getting more specific and they're getting better at doing specific types of tasks or engagements. And you're seeing that, right? Spin-offs from OpenAI, some of the co-founders have gone off and started a virtual assistant, right, as an example, 
that is really an AI agent. It's meant to help you do things. Um, you're seeing in the healthcare space, Google releasing MedPalm 2 and these specific healthcare trained models. And so models are getting a lot more focused on what their jobs are. And what does this do? It makes them better at answering questions. It improves their accuracy. It uh, decreases their ability to hallucinate a lot, right? Because they have only a limited set of context. Uh, and they have a lot deeper knowledge, right? They've been trained on specific knowledge the same way that a human would be trained to become a doctor. Some of these models are trained off the exact same study material and information, right? Um, so again, I think it's finding that balance of being an expert and creating a model that is an expert and also having enough general or generic background information as we all do about life to be able to understand the context of what they're solving for. You know, that's funny. Is so, so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but it is interesting because I get texts from Michael all the time. Say, oh, check this, uh, check this uh, AI model out. Oh my gosh, it's pretty, pretty awesome. So one of the things that you sent to me recently is Adobe's kind of, you know, it's like a podcast kind of cleaner upper of sound and it's all done through AI. So basically what it does is you upload this audio and it cleans it up and it sounds pretty freaking amazing. So that's right. one. I mean, so it's not just asking questions. It's like you have AI cleaning that stuff up. And then you sent me a, something else. I can't remember. Um, that was really cool. Do you remember what it was? Um, so I think the other was um, Descript that I sent right. to you a while ago. Really cool tool where for podcasting specifically, because obviously that's what Chris and I text the most about, right? Is Unrunning. you can go in, upload your audio files. You can transcribe it. And then you can say, remove all the utterances first off. So anything that's like, um, or a pause or a weird break, it will just go in and clean up for you and make the audio sound much more seamless. And then the other piece is you can go in and edit the text, right? So within 10 minutes of recorded audio footage, you can create an AI synthetic voice of your own. And then let's say you mispronounced a word or said something wrong. You can go in and just edit the text and re-render the audio file with those words implanted into the podcast. So the other thing, and I think this is really crazy awesome, um, was this uh, text that you sent to me with uh, something that we did in the past was a video, right? Uh, oh, video yeah. ML. And what it did was, is it transcribed our voices and put it into both Chinese and, and Russian or uh, yeah. Mandarin and Russian. And so I actually, I uh, work with uh, some folks that know Russian really well. That's all they speak. That's their language. And uh, send it to them. And they say, oh my God, this is amazing. It's perfect. It's our voices that did yeah. that. So where this stuff is going, and this is just this year, right? Whenever all this stuff started taking off. So didn't mean to interrupt, but there's more things than just asking models questions, right? Totally. It's changing totally. our voices. It's it not changing our voices, but it can use our voices to put in different languages, things that we've said in English. It can transcribe it into Mandarin. It can transcribe it into, not just transcribe it, put our voices to uh, Russian, whatever language we want. This changes everything, man. I mean, I, I can't tell you like the things I started thinking about Whenever uh, you sent that to me and I was like, is this real? You know, we can start creating our own podcasts 
and put it into these different languages and put it on another, you know, a French side or German side or whatever. And then we could get, I don't know, it just, it's pretty amazing. So, well, and, and you know, the dissemination of information has always been complicated with languages, right? Mm-hmm. Previously, we relied on subtitles. Yeah. But imagine how this broadens and, and makes that information more accessible from sharing new research to uh, communicating. If we could do this live or in real time, we could have a conversation in different languages. or We could bring somebody onto our show where we didn't speak their language, right? Yeah. So all of these are this kind of multi-model capabilities, right? You're seeing it a lot right now in LLMs, but they're coming out across the board and all other technologies as well. Um, but for specifically for LLMs, what we're seeing is that previously or up until now, you've had to communicate with one over t- text, right? You've yeah. had to type in a prompt, yeah. uh, ask it a question or instruct it to do something. But now you're going to be able to take pictures, right? of things and say, use that as part of the dialogue. You can talk to it, right? You can pass an audio file to it. You could take a video of something and have that be the context of that video be interpreted. And then also on the other end, the models now can return information with the same outputs, right? So think that instead of just replying in text, it could reply with an image or an audio file or a video file. And this is where the communication and the application of large language models, and specifically with this multi-model view, is going to change a lot in 2024, right? Yeah, that's a great trend. And I don't want to spend all of our time, Michael, on that particular trend because we'll go deep in it, uh, maybe on the next episode. But the, the other thing that we've been, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but is around edge AI advancements. How is proliferation of edge AI expected to transform the processing of data in real-time scenarios, you know, especially in remote areas with limited connectivity, like by 2024? Yeah. So, you know, edge computing, we did a podcast on this earlier. If you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend you yeah. check it out. It was two podcasts ago, I believe. Um, but what it really is, is bringing the processing closer to the device. So traditionally in networks, that meant, you know, bringing servers closer to people. Like you might have Verizon internet and they might have a server that's helping process things that you're doing online in the town that you live in, right? And that was considered edge. Now kind of this definition of edge has shifted even further to maybe even on device, right? So imagine these large language models as we improve their efficiencies right, and performance and compression, we could actually run them on a device without any internet. Right now, when you connect to a large language model like ChatGPT, you're sending your data to a server somewhere, a big computer that's processing it and sending you back a response. For certain applications in 2024, I would not be surprised if you start to see large language models on device, right? And that's going to lead to a huge amount of Uh, benefits for a lot of people. The first one is being accessibility, right? For people who don't have internet, they can put these large language models on a phone or on a very small affordable computer. And all of a sudden, these groups of people that didn't have good access to information can now access information locally, right? And ask questions and interact with an expert locally. 
The other thing is they could do that in possibly another language, right? So we just yeah. talked about multi-language support. So all of these things are starting to compound into new and unique ways that we can provide information to people faster and more efficiently and more cost-effectively. The other big piece is privacy and security, right? When you have a model running locally, you aren't sending your data up to a third party, right? The data is all on the device, which means that it is secure. And as long as it's been built to in a trusted way, that means that your questions are secured and nobody's profiting or benefiting off that. So it changes the structure and the value and the trust of what you can ask that and what kind of information you can provide to that model. And then the third, which is what we talked about a little bit is this idea of improved scalability through distributed AI. Right now, these big servers are super expensive to run. I mean, yep. a lot of the companies that are running these tools, even when you're paying $20 a month, are taking a loss to provide that service to you because they just want to be known and, and get the word out, this virality of what's happening in the AI space. But the truth of the matter is we need to fix this very quickly. It's a huge amount of energy. It's a huge amount of pollution that we're creating. And it's a huge amount of cost. So creating models that are on the edge that are smaller and more compressed will significantly reduce that. And it will allow for better distribution and more accessibility of these technologies. And outside of people, the other place that we can think about these applications is in IoT, right? And if we have intelligence and context that can be run locally, it can be put on machines that don't need the internet, that can interpret the world without needing to be connected to a centralized network. They could learn without needing to be connected to a centralized network. And this is a huge advancement of edge computing. And I think that likely you'll see a little bit of this in 2024, but it's really, I think, going to take off in the future when we really get better at compression and reducing cost. When you look at uh, the converg convergence of AI and uh, Internet of Things, do, are you thinking like, Okay, so I have a refrigerator, for example, and it has, you know, data within that refrigerator, or it could be a washer or dryer or whatever about how many times, I don't know, whatever it is that the data is in there. Are you saying that, you know, it's going to be put into those kinds of things and then some point could read the information there and give data to different, maybe it's already happening, I don't know, but is that what you're thinking or something different? I mean, a refrigerator maybe, but like a refrigerator is always going to be likely close to a network, right? So it's going to be not as probably a practical place to install edge computing. I mean, How about like maybe. a tractor. A tractor is a great example. Or imagine that you're, uh, you know, somebody who's foraging for food mm. in the wilderness, right? Where if you maybe it's mushrooms and you pick the wrong mushroom, you could kill yourself, right? Mm. Um, you could use this kind of technology to help interpret what is safe to eat without internet, uh, with one single device that's powered by a battery that has no connection to the outside world, could interpret that information for you and help make a decision. Those are the types of things that I think you're going to start to see more of, is places where traditionally you'd need to rely on your own knowledge because there isn't internet and there isn't connections in these spaces to help make an assessment of something. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I kind of agree. I, I think maybe that's one way. I it's going to be used, but I mean, is there a huge market to sell to people that don't have internet, you know, and, you know, build these things for that? You know, I, I, I'm just... Abs there absolutely is. I mean, another, if you want to talk about money, right, and ability to spend, think about the DOD space, right? Department mm -hmm. of Defense, 
There are so many places in the world where surveillance needs to take place, assessments of conflict need to take place, where there might not be internet, or there might be blockage of satellite coverage, or all these other challenges that are run into in the RF space. Okay. If you had a model on-prem that could make assessments and have more intelligence than what we could programmatically create, you're talking about unlocking a whole different degree of surveillance. It's worth hmm. a lot of money to a lot of people. Okay. Well, that, that actually summed that up. And so um, when you think of kind of the next trend uh, in AI and ML, 2024 is ethics and explainable AI. So with the increased demand of explainable AI, how do we balance like the complexity of AI models and the need for understandable explanations? And what can be the standard global framework for explainability by 2024? And by the way, we kind of did a, podcast way back around ethics and things like that, but I think we're thinking a little bit differently here. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of concerns. Right now, it is very difficult to discern the differences between what an AI chatbot has written, it's published online, and what a human has written, right? And we're seeing a lot of people leveraging that to produce more content, which is great. Um, And, but there's also these challenges, right? Like, what happens when somebody starts to create information strategically in a way to influence an opinion of a of a you know of a group of people right and a good example of this is like the whole misinformation campaign that we've talked about on social media and with politics right if you're constantly hearing opinions of people around you saying something you're going to be influenced by that right to some degree And if we're able to create machines that can have conversations and chat and produce that information at infinitely, you know, theoretically infinite scale, right? What can that do to swing a political vote, right? Or what can that do to, you know, creating controversy or tension in a, in a government? Um, And imagine even if you go take that a step further and you're able to, um, you know, falsely represent people. Right by training a model that understands how they talk and their verbiage, and there's a lot of things like this that we haven't really thought through. That could, you know, a very small group of people could create a lot of harm with AI. And, and this is just with text that we're talking about. Imagine images, imagine audio, imagine visuals. There's so much more that could be embedded um, in a way that creates a really poor um, impact for society. So. There's been a lot of talk with Meta and Google and OpenAI getting together and working with local and national governments to understand how could we better differentiate what's created from a computer versus what's created from a person? Uh, And how do we kind of create more transparency there about this idea of what was generated by a computer? So this idea of watermarking, right, which has become very popular and understanding is there a way that we could watermark? And what we mean by watermark is identify things that were created by computers. Yeah. I think the other piece that's really interesting um, that we need to understand is if you're using AI for good even, how is it citing that information? Right now, there's no way to easily with OpenAI and ChatGPT, which is the majority of the market right now, these large models, to create citations. And so Google started to do this. There's been some other companies. Um, Claude has started to do this, right? 
where you can actually cite information. You can say, well, you know, you gave me this statement. I don't know if you're hallucinating or not, if you're making it up. Can you tell me your sources? And the model has to, in some way, cite where the information came from, that it's making that assumption. Well, I didn't know that. That's good. I'm going to try that. So that's that's definitely something that will come, and it will. if it's not coming for all models, for specific models, it certainly will. So there's research models coming out that cite things. Mm. And this is, you know, again, why we need, you know, models that do specific tasks well, right? ChatGPT may not be the one to do that. It might be, you know, like listening to your uncle. You don't know if he's saying the right thing or the incorrect <laughs> thing. You're just listening to him for advice. Um, My dad used to say the stupidest shit, and, and you'd have to believe him. And then yeah. now my brother would uh, say, well, so my dad will say something and Josh, my brother, would look it up on Google and be like, dad, that's wrong. See? Yeah. <laughs> so he can't make stuff up anymore. You know? And this isn't the first time we've seen this. You know, if you go back in uh, the history of the internet, think of Wikipedia, right? Yeah. Anyone could edit Wikipedia. We'd cite it. You'd get in trouble in class for citing a Wikipedia article. Like, <laughs> yeah. but this this concept of authenticity and integrity of sources is going to become more and more important as we speed up the ability to create content. Right? Yeah, for sure. It's ever evolving, right? It just has to evolve into the right things, you know? And so right now it's out there. It's crazy. It's the wild, wild west and they'll reel it in a little bit. I have no yeah. doubt. Um, Absolutely. The other um, trend, so off to the, to the next trend is AI and cybersecurity. So huge, huge space. I mean, cybersecurity is not ever going to go away, I don't think. But as cyber threats evolve, how uh, will AI-driven cybersecurity tools advance to preempt these threats? So, you know, what role is AI going to play in personal data protection and privacy? Yeah, so, I mean, we talked about the risks of LLM, right, being indistinguishable from the general public. But in general, AI is used to be able to statistically find anomalies across anything, right? And I think that's the big, one of the yeah. biggest uses in cybersecurity is like, what is really happening, right? And, you know, these attacks have become so advanced um, that we need really advanced technology to defend against them. So a great example of this is the find a needle in a haystack problem, right? Yeah. You have millions of people using your software and you might have you know, a 0.001% of them that are bad actors that are doing something maliciously, how do you find them, right? Well, we can use AI to, in strategies with AI to help identify those anomalies in doing things that you shouldn't be, right? Like looking at log data. It's the most common way that people assess security is by analyzing logs, right? You've got your Akamai's, you've got your Splunts, you've got all these technologies that are built in, you know, make billions of dollars because they analyze all of these statistics about where the data is coming from, how frequent are the actions, how similar are the actions. Um, and then you've got these other types of attacks, totally, totally different, where you have large amounts of computers, millions of computers that are used to attack um, a service to try to shut it down, or like a DDoS or a crypto locker. And all of these things, you can use the information and the patterns on how people are engaging or interacting with the software to help identify and prevent these types of vulnerabilities and exposure. Um, so, you know, in general, AI is probably the most offensive and most defensive tool that you could use in cybersecurity. And we're seeing more and more of that, right? The days of 
um, of finding simple penetrations or exploits are starting to disappear because there are so many tools that can help automate and patch those processes and those vulnerabilities automatically. Well, and it's, you know, I think the those that are um, causing the threats are also really smart and can use AI for different things as well. So I think, you know, probably goes the opposite way too, you know, and so trying to stay ahead of the curve is always going to be Cybersecurity software companies are never ahead of the curve. They've never been. And, you know, and, and I think I think they'll try to get ahead of the curve, you know, with AI. But, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know if it's a lose-lose, but it's definitely going to help, I think, in some ways. Yeah, and the way that I've, I, it took me a long time to kind of realize this, I think, at the cybersecurity space, but there's always a bigger fish, you know, if you use yeah. that term. There's always a worse criminal that's going to know how to do something to damage your system. But the likelihood of that happening is your exposure rate. And you have to focus on how much exposure do you really have to this threat? Um, Because you could spend your whole career just focusing on patching your system if that was the case, right? So if you're in a, you know, a role where you're holding a lot of data that's very sensitive and of high risk, you need to spend a lot more time focusing on that. If you're producing an app that, you know, is for connecting people in a dating situation or like, you know, an education app, well, maybe it's not as critical because you're not holding as much sensitive information. Or maybe it is because you want to protect people that are using the platform. These are the things that, you know, it's completely job and role specific to your environment. Yeah, we'll get some uh, experts that dive into cybersecurity and AI uh, on our podcast, which set to go find them. I think you and I have some connections that we'll reach out to. I think that'd be a really good uh, area of discussion. Um, so the next uh, trend in AI and ML uh, for 2024 is revolutionizing healthcare with AI. This is a big opportunity here. So what breakthroughs can we anticipate in healthcare diagno- diagnostics, treatment, patient care uh, through AI by 2024? So AI is anticipated probably in healthcare to be one of the largest areas or sectors that's going to be impacted, especially by large language models. Um, The biggest opportunity is that healthcare has so many areas that could be optimized by just general technology, not even AI, but add on AI to that. And you've got, you know, huge efficiencies that could be gained, cost savings, um, better performance, better outcomes. The challenge is regulation in healthcare. So there is a tremendous amount of regulation. And so things that could happen from a technological standpoint are already available. But when will regulation change, whether it'll be 2024 or 2028 or 2030, is really dependent on what's happening in the world, right? Um, But we're seeing a lot of investment going into large language models in healthcare. General Catalyst just bought an entire hospital. They're a venture capitalist company who oh, wow. run AI technology and new technology in their infrastructure, right? They invested in a hospital. So you're seeing these unprecedented big bets in health and AI. Um, but, you know, in the short term, where will AI... And, you know, another great example is um, Paul English, my, my current boss at the Boston Venture Studios. He just donated... Um, $5 million, right, to the University of Massachusetts, which is the state I'm in, Wow. Um, 
to help improve AI in education and specifically in the healthcare space, I think is one of the focus areas. So people are making big investments towards this because there is a noticeable big impact. And some of the areas that will probably be impacted the most in 2024 are areas that don't have as much regulation. So not necessarily in the hospital, but around the hospital. So you can think of improved proactive healthcare, right? What can we do as preventative measures to help you reduce your blood sugar or you know, outpatient care? After you've gone to a hospital, you've been diagnosed, you, they've patched you up to take care of you to mend. Um, hospital resource management. There are so many inefficiencies in how hospitals utilize resources, right? Bed shortages, equipment <laughs> shortages, cleaning technologies, all of these areas that you could use AI to help optimize, test, audit um, the performance of what's going on and refine that and find those efficiencies. Reducing wait times. I don't know how many of you have been to a hospital and had to wait hours or if not like a day just to get seen, to be sent home in 40 minutes or an hour, right? There's all of these challenges and inefficiencies in hospitals that could be optimized. Um, and then some of the more advanced things that you'll start to see some of this. It's It's not necessarily large language models, but when you think about personalized treatments, um, if you think of gene therapeutics like CRISPR, um, some of these areas that are right now available, but they're only available to people that have a lot of money because they're very expensive, right? But the idea is that you can generate um, cures and solutions to people's ailments using AI and processes that happen ex vitro outside of the body. Um, and then after a specific experiment or custom therapeutic has been created, put that back in the body to fix the patient, right? So there's some pretty amazing stuff that's happening right now with AI, with understanding all of these different therapeutic strategies, the data involved in understanding if those could be generalized or if they're human specific. Um, and then I think one of the biggest other areas are kind of these things that live around the hospital and around healthcare, like mental health, right? You think of mm -hmm. mental health powered chatbots, therapists, providing support and resources and experiencing mental health challenges. Mental health is probably one of the biggest undiagnosed issues in our country, in the United States at least, but I'm, I'm guessing it's global too, because there isn't a, a rubric or way for most of these cases to understand if somebody has an issue or not. And there's a complete spectrum of how, you know, how much of that issue do they really have or that dis disability or challenge that they need to improve. So, um, AI can definitely help here. And I think that, you know, it can help with finding the right resources. You know, many people that have mental illnesses are not finding the care they need because they don't have the ability to, right? Whether it's they don't know how to get the information, they don't know how to find the right resources, they don't know how to find the right connections. It's a complicated system. And if you're struggling with a mental illness, you know, taking those steps to find those resources can be incredibly difficult. So I think that there's a huge opportunity here um, in less of a regulated space than actually making decisions about, you know, surgery or medicine or anything like this, which will take a much longer. And you'll start to see a lot of this. You've already seen some of this come out in the space. Yeah. And we'll go to the next one here shortly, but so I kind of think about the healthcare space, but also when you think about some of the the wearables that you can, that you have, like, Garmin's or, you know, Apple Health and a bunch of other different things that you can get, you know, that kind of looks at like um, 
Like for me, my running watch tells me all kinds of data about my heart rate, a bunch of other stuff, right? And so maybe connecting to some of the health kind of care stuff too, uh, I think there's probably an opportunity there. I don't know, but. Totally. Absolutely. I mean, some of the studies, I don't know if you've seen in the paper of what Apple's doing with some of their latest research on devices, there's some incredible um, large-scale analysis that's being done too with a lot of these wearables, right? Um, and again, a lot of that hinges on um, our healthcare records, right? And health information and how we share and the policies around sharing that for research. What are the trade-offs? What are the pros and cons to that? Um, what are the risks? Uh, yeah, but I mean, a lot of people that use these apps like Apple and, you know, Garmin and things like that, pretty much public. You know what I mean? Like people put that stuff on public. And so that's what's to say that they're not going to use that stuff when it is public because it's public information, right? So yeah, people are posting on Strava. People are posting it on, you know, the the communities within Garmin. So that stuff is public and they, you know, they, they use that. So anyways, that's another talk. Um, so the, the other um, kind of trend that we're looking at for AI and ML for 2024 is the future of autonomous robotics. Um, it's interesting. Maybe you have to explain to me exactly what that is, but how will the integration of advanced AI into robotic change the landscape of manufacturing, logistics, and home automation in the next few years? Yeah. So, I mean, home automation is probably the easiest one to start with. You yep. already see so much of that, right? From your security system to your fridge, you know, yep. <laughs> telling you what's in your fridge, uh, <laughs> probably like a less useful one, but some people love it. I don't know. Um, I, I think the doorbell, who's that doorbell, all that right, stuff. heating system, all these things. I think that the areas that you're going to see a lot more is in the manufacturing spaces, logistics spaces. You're already seeing it. You know, Amazon's been a pioneer of this, but this idea of collaborative robotics with large language models is going to emerge. Maybe not in 2024, but in the future, it definitely will. Uh, they call this cobots, the collaborative robots, right? He's a co-worker. Now you'll have your co-bot. Um, and this will be AI that's equipped to work alongside humans, right? And this will help improve safety and productivity on the factory floors or maybe even in the office. Um, areas like last mile delivery is huge. Um, I think that, again, this is totally dependent on regulation, but there is, you know, you ship things to a, a dropship center like in the supply chain, right? Where that's a, a warehouse that's closer to you than wherever the object was manufactured. And from there, it goes through a series of additional points that it touches to be delivered to your house. And the last mile is probably the most complex piece there, which is how do you get something from that last point of collection to your home? So for me, for example, in my hometown, the post office is like three miles away. Well, we pay postal workers to go drive around and deliver stuff within yep. the neighborhood, you know, 24 seven or whatever throughout the week. Could that be automated, right? Could that be automated with autonomous delivery robots or drones to help optimize that, ensuring that it's faster and more efficient and more cost-effective? I'm sure the postal workers don't want to hear that. Right. And there's a huge amount of regulation around anything flying or autonomous. So we'll see. I don't think this really will be a 2024 thing, but I definitely think it's something in the future where the idea of a mailman or mail person 
uh, coming to your door will probably be something of the past in the next 10 years. Um, yeah, and the final thing is, is this side thing like inventory management, right? And Amazon's done an incredible job on this. There's some other really amazing companies that have come out that are doing it uh, in a more open sourced way. So it's not just part of Prime, but this idea of inventory management where AI and robotics are enabling real-time inventory tracking, deliveries, reducing stockouts and overstocking, and managing that whole supply chain using AI. So right now there are fleets of people in every industry that sells tangible goods, um, but specifically things like manufacturing, where they have to know how much you know estimated orders are coming in, how much they need to buy for every you know component that they're creating yeah. of those resources, and all of those have different times associated with when those materials can be available. Sometimes they're further out than even the purchase orders, right? So they need to have these really advanced systems of like what's happening in the world. Do they have multiple suppliers for each thing that they need to buy to build whatever they're building? Um, so AI can really help in this uh, environment to help understand and forecast those technologies. So that's definitely something that has started to already come. And I think you'll see a lot more of it in 2024. Cool. And we've got a few more. And so let's try to get through these somewhat quickly, but uh, I, t- I want to make sure that we get to them is the other uh, AI and ML trend for 2024 is human AI collaboration. How will augmented intelligence shape the future of work and how can businesses prepare their workforce for the change? I think it's a big one. Yeah. So look, this is going to be complicated. You know, people, there's a lot of doomsdayers that say AI is going to take our jobs. I think the same thing was said about computers. The same thing has been said about just about any new innovation uh, in the past century. It's about upskilling, right? It's about education. And, you know, before computers, we had people that would manually type things on typewriters, right? Uh, And retype things and recreate information. And the copier came out and then the computer and the dot (laughs) matrix printer and all these other things. So like, it's, it's really about upskilling you know, investing in ongoing training and programs to help employees acquire these skills and specifically AI-related skills necessary for their roles. You're going to see people being able to do a lot more with a lot less in certain areas and companies that don't train and invest time in their employees and retrain them and upskill them, you're going to see a huge gap and there will be employees that lose their job and have a really hard time finding a job in the future over the next decade because they didn't upskill. Um, I think also for organizations, decision-making, right? Involving employees in this decision-making process regarding AI and how they want to adopt it, how they want to gain their buy-in, right? None of this works if employees don't leverage AI effectively. A great example of this is um, a friend of mine created a wearable for nurses in the hospital sector and nobody wore it. Nobody wanted to wear it. They rejected it. They didn't trust it. And that's a common trend is like we make assumptions on the things that we will invest in to make things more efficient or more productive. And then ultimately they get rejected by the user because there wasn't enough buy-in. There wasn't enough trust and authenticity on how this would improve their life. Um, And then finally, environment. I think fostering an environment that is encourages collaboration between people and new AI systems, training employees to work alongside AI tools, and really helping understand their capabilities. Where will humans do a better job? There's always going to be a point, I believe this, that humans will be able to do better assessment and have a better job than 
machines. So where are those areas that we need more human intervention? And I wouldn't think about it as a replacement of anything. I would think about it as a way to create a huge amount of efficiencies within the workforce. I agree. Well said. And uh, the other thing is around kind of the a, a trend is education and AI. And I think this is one that probably really big, but you just kind of wonder uh, with kind of the growing importance of AI and ML knowledge, how are education institutions adapting their programs to meet industry needs and trends? So when you think of colleges or high schools or, you know, elementaries or whatever, what are some of the things that you're thinking is going to happen in the, the area? So it blew me away the other day. I was at a friend's house and he has teenagers. Mm-hmm. One of them came downstairs. It was the evening to work on his homework and he pulled out an iPad. And I knew this was a thing, right? But they don't do any paper. That's right. No paper anymore at all. You don't write things. Like cursive has been eliminated from the curriculum. <laughs> That's right. Right. To me, these things, and maybe this is just a sign of getting old, but they're mind boggling to me. Like, how can you learn off an iPad? your entire four years of high school and what impact is that going to have? I mean, I think that like with everything, there's a huge importance of implementing new technologies and AI and ML knowledge are definitely going to be things that everybody must learn about uh, in one way or another. Like, you know, I think 30 years ago, yeah, the calculator or 40 years ago, the calculator had just come out and it was a new technology and people like, why do you need that if you can do addition and some long division on a piece of paper. Like you should just be good at that. And now we don't think anything about the calculator. It's like you probably don't even use a calculator to use some other technology to solve your problems. No, I use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On my computer. Uh, but yeah. but the, the same thing is going to happen with AI, right? Like right now there's kind of this, why do we need AI? How's it going to be useful? And in a lot of ways, people it, it say it's making this dumber, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And it probably is to some degree, right? Exactly. But is the trade-off in how much more you can do using AI better? Um, This is something that could be debated forever. I actually lean more on the preference of like, we probably should all learn how to do things manually Mm -hmm. and then accelerate to how we're doing things today and maybe skip the calculator if that's an outdated thing that we don't need anymore. But you know, learning the components of how something works makes you a master, not um, just learning how to create outputs faster. But what we are seeing in areas that we're really seeing AI help are like Khan Academy reduced, released Conmigo, an incredible AI bot that uses Socratic method to help teach people um, without just giving them answers, right? It helped walk them through problems. How many people, I know like growing up, I did not get a lot of help with my homework. Right. That was something that mm-hmm. I had to struggle through things. And, you know, what did I do if I really needed help? I'd go to the after school tutor, mm-hmm. right, who was there. And I'd probably get 15 minutes with them to help walk through an example problem of what I was doing wrong. Conmigo unlocks unlimited tutoring. As much as you want to learn, you have the access to ask questions. That completely changes the landscape of education. Right. Probably not a great thing for tutors, right? Because they become much more specialized. They're a lot more costly. But, you know, imagine being a student, being able to ask any question and be taught how to learn something. That is, I think, one of the biggest um, and most positive things that I've seen out of LLM so far is just this ability to unlock learning for everybody. Yeah. Um, lastly, so 
when you kind of look at the trends and beyond, so the next frontier of AI, beyond the things that we discussed today, you know, what do you think the potential unexpected or under the radar advancements in AI that we are that we could see in twenty past twenty twenty four, and what are some of the implications? So you know, this is this looking way out, right? I think yeah. that we're still a ways away from this. But one of the biggest things that I'm most excited about is this idea of QML or quantum machine learning, and the ability to significantly accelerate machine learning algorithms. Um, and so, what does that really mean, right? If we have a few more minutes, we can dive into it. But you know, a regular computer, like a laptop that you have at home, uses bytes binary bytes will be pro to process information. Yeah. Bytes are essentially like on-off switches, zeros or ones. Now, the difference with a quantum computer is that it uses these things called qubits, which can be either zero or one, or they can be both, zero and one at the same time. Did this really cool thing, and we'll do another podcast on this called Superpositions. So, like, imagine... And those superpositions are all connected to one another, right? So if you think about, and it's through this thing called entanglement, meaning that like the state of one qubit, whether it's on, off, or both, is connected to another. So no matter how far apart they are, if they were on either side of the world, technically, if you turned one one way, the other one would be impacted by that, right? And this is like the the physics part of quantum computing, right? So... A really good example of this is imagine that you had a regular computer and you needed to search for a specific book in a library, right? Mm -hmm. And let's say it's thousands and thousands of books that you need to search for. Your computer has to go through and check each book at a time asking, is this the book I'm looking for? And get a response saying yes or no, right? Through some process. And this is a huge amount of energy and compute compared to a quantum computer where instead of looking at one book at a time, it can say, it can check multiple books simultaneously. And this is through this magic of qubits and superposition. So it can say, when you ask that question, is this the book I'm looking for? Because all of these qubits are related to one another, you can actually search through all of them in one ask hmm. versus thousands of individual asks. Uh, and so this ability to rapidly search, and this is just one example of quantum computing, if we get any comments on this, but, you know, could significantly change how we think about processing data for statistical purposes, such as machine learning. Um, and we should definitely do another talk on this because this is an exciting space. It's complicated. But I think the more that we can prepare and learn about this, this will be the next generation of computer that come out in the world. I think you just got really nerdy on me. And uh Sounds fascinating. <laughs> so, but uh, Michael, this was really, really good, and, and I love kind of thinking about what are the trends uh, in in the topic of AI and ML, and, and you certainly gave us really good information. So, uh, super fun. We'll go deep in each one of those topics at some point in these podcasts. Try to bring on some guests that might be even smarter than us uh, and have you know experience in that kind of stuff, but. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another uh, Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Thanks for jumping on. Don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks, everyone. Bye.